Hello and welcome to this, the second Pilot TV podcast, the weekly news and review show celebrating and curating the very best in cinematic television. And if you listened to the first one, well, we're thrilled and more than a little surprised you've come back for a second go. And we promise that there'll be less mention of self-love in this week's podcast. I'm Terry White, the Editor-in-Chief of Pilot TV, and I'm joined by two colleagues who love telly more than they could ever possibly love any other human being, like the true psychopaths that they are. First up, we have Deputy Editor, TV's Boyd Hilton. Thank you very much. Hi, Boyd. How are you? I'm very well. I don't know how you can promise there won't be that much discussion of masturbation because we haven't actually recorded the podcast yet. I know. I'm kind of promising on behalf of myself and hoping okay. it reaches James Dyer mainly. I have at least five masturbatory oh. anecdotes ready God. to go. Good. We're off to a good start. Now, Boyd, last yeah. week we talked about your celebrity friends, specifically uh, Russell Tovey and Dermot O'Leary. But I was thinking that I don't think it does justice to the scale and scope of your celebrity friendships. I mean, these friendships are in large part why you are given the title of TV's Boyd Hilton. Oh, yeah, okay. That and your immense knowledge of, of sure. television. So we'd like some more. Can you tell us who your most famous friend is? Um, it's probably David Williams, I guess. Yeah, David. Ooh. Yeah, David I've known for... He's the one I've known the longest of my celebrity friends, yeah, properly, yeah, since back in the day of Rock Profile. I was really excited when he started following me on Twitter until I realised he follows everyone on Twitter. He follows quite a lot of people. He yeah. follows, like, he yeah. follows like 9,000 yeah. people. He's one of those on people who went from completely rejecting all forms of social media to embracing them more than anyone in the world ever. Well, now. shall I tell you my David Walliam story? And it is this. Uh, my friend Alex, Alex Very, was a video. I'm sorry, sorry, can we stop? His name is Alex Very. Yeah, he is very. Very what? He's very everything. <laughs> you need to meet him. But anyway, he's, he's a, a video He's a videator. So he was like a video game gladiator. He went by the name Big Boy Barry because he is a big boy. His name's not Barry, though. Anyway, and this was in the 80s. So he was in the, he was on this show and he got his own spin-off show. He was the most popular videator on, on Games World and he got his own spin-off show called Barry's Joypad. You see what they did there? Yes. And it, he was obviously the lead and he had a comedy sidekick played by David Walliams. Yes, David did. Yes, that's correct. I can yeah. confirm he was on Games World. Yeah. So he played second string to my mate Alex. How is this your story? Because I like to inject myself into really everything. <laughs> okay, good, good. And um, Boyd, what's the most uh, showbiz thing you've ever done with... David Walliams. Oh, we, like went to see, we went to see Kylie with Elton and David. Elton, John, David Furnish. No That was the foursome way. was me, David, Elton, John and David Furnish watching Kylie and then we obviously went back and met her afterwards and hugged her. And... I, this is new. I didn't realise you were quite such a colossal star fucker. This is quite extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you don't realise I'm the world's greatest name dropper <laughs> is frankly ludicrous. And I just dropped Big Boy Barry and thought that yeah. was pretty egregious. So, <laughs> all right, fair enough. Good. Well, we've already met James, but let's introduce you formally. Hi. You are the other deputy editor of Pilot TV. And James, apart from Empire's Chris Hewitt, who is your most famous friend? Can I say Empire's Nick DeSemlin? <laughs> you can. It's quite the uh, double act. Yeah. I don't have any Although I think you should friends. really say Empire's Terry White. Should I? Yeah. Well, Terry is quite Just famous. Saying, yeah. I, don't, I, I see. I don't, I, like, I don't have a lot of, of... Celebrities don't like me, I think, really. Is 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 mm. what it comes down to? Is it your Why'd spiky you interview technique? It might be. It might be. It might be my complete ineptitude and lack of preparation, <laughs> probably more than anything else. Yeah, the closest I ever came was uh, was was I hung out with Arnold a few times. Uh, uh, Schwarzenegger, so just first term, just Arnold. <laughs> but I, I don't think we can say we're friends. I'm just that journalist who he once met. 
No, but you've spoken a few times, right? And I yeah, believe I mean, he knows who you are. I think our, in my entire relationship with Arnold Schwarzenegger can be summed up by the time he came to the Empire Awards, where I went up to him and went, Arnold, great to see you, and I shook his hand, and he's like, hello, and I went, oh, how have you been? You know, And he just kind of looked at me, it was clearly no fucking clue who I was. And then I saw his aide slip him a piece of paper, and he looked at it, and then he went, James, and threw his arms around, how are you? And it's like, so two seconds ago, you had no clue who I was. But suddenly, this piece of paper clearly said, oh, he wrote that great article, you should be nice to him. And so he was. So that is very good. Yeah. That's very good. Um, I'm trying to think who might... I don't really have famous friends. That's not think. true. Do you think it? it's against, is it against your journalistic principle to befriend the people that you have to deal with professionally? I have. I um, obviously do not follow that rule. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Um, also, I get... I think I have an um, awkwardness about me that means that if you persevere with me, I think I grow on you. But I think <laughs> an instant first meeting, there's something a little bit odd about me. Right. Yeah. Um, which puts famous people off because okay. they kind of think she might be one of those people who turns up at the foot of my bed at 2am yeah. being like, hey, want to go get a cocktail? It's, it's that bit where they meet you and they glimpse their own death briefly. Yeah. Yeah. It's the madness in, in the kind of whites of my eyes that I think <laughs> gives it away. Um, yeah, you've betrayed a certain amount of self-awareness there. That's good, yeah. Oh, I've got loads of self-awareness. Okay. I just yeah. don't do anything about it. Have you been on TV? If we're talking about TV. I know Boyd's been on, been on literally on the every Westworld show ever. Um, show. I was. Not that yeah. kind of TV, like dramatic TV. Oh, have I been an extra? Yeah. No. <laughs> Nothing. How is that a claim to fame? It's, I've been it's an not, extra. It's not really. I'm just teeing up my own particular Go anecdote. Go on. Have you been an extra? Oh, an it's an all extra. about teeing up his yeah. own anecdote. In early 90s British sitcom Bonjour La Classe starring <laughs> Nigel Planer. <laughs> that... I mean, that is fantastic. There you go. We need more. Yeah. It was shot at my school, and uh, and I was in the chapel scene, and there was a bit where you could just see me there, sort of smiling inanely at the camera. And there's a bit of me walking. They cut, without my sign off. They did not speak to my people about this. They 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 filmed me from behind, which is problematic because I was underage. They filmed me from behind, walking down a path towards the lunch hall, and there's just this, there's this lingering shot on my ass as I walk towards lunch. <laughs> I'm not sure to this day why. How old? Uh, uh, oh, I guess I must have been about 16. How disturbing. Yeah. Uh, um, the only thing that would have been shot on my school would have been a Ken Loach film. So <laughs> Maybe <laughs> no Ken stories. Loach's next film could be shot in your... Maybe. I ran into school. Ken Loach in Forbidden Planet. Oh, can, I just, can I just say that again? I ran into Ken Loach in Forbidden Planet. What was he buying? It's very hard to say. Should very not check it out? Say. No, Should I was just absolutely him? gobsmacked. Because you, you see him, you think, you know, used needles and donkey jackets. You don't think <laughs> limited edition Superman first runs. But, you know, he's a, he's a man of many, many layers. He's very textured. He is. I was an extra in Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant's from Cemetery Junction. Another right. one of my subject friends is Ricky. And uh, I, he insisted that I was an extra so they could put me in a wig. So I'm in a <laughs> 70s wig in that film if you want to see half a second of me is that on the internet it's, it must be on the internet yeah it, pictures of you on the internet probably yeah well, let's find yeah i was nearly an extra in the first hitman film because i'm bald uh oh, they, there was a bit where i was talking to to the director who was going a bit rogue um he uh we were on set and he said oh no we'll put you in the back of a car and we'll just put the button you can just be his stunt double and you can go in the car because they're going to fly down the road it's going to be a chase and i was like this sounds amazing they're going to put a barcode on me and i'm going to be the hitman stunt double and then someone from the production went up to him and just went no absolutely <laughs> not for so many reasons not least of all the law and insurance and so they wouldn't let me do it and i felt robbed now, James, I'm surprised you're on such good form because it has been it's been a week since the last podcast. It we has. did the first one, we did it live, and we're now in a tiny, tiny meeting room in Camden. Yeah. But you've been on roller coasters for the last week. I have, you? yes. I've been at Universal Studios enjoying their Halloween horror nights, being scared by things. 
having people jump out at me. Does that technically great. work? I mean, it's I mean, it's it's not dissimilar to coming to work in Camden, if I'm brutally <laughs> honest with you. You know, knife-wielding lunatics screaming in your face and hurling themselves at you from sort of shadowy corners. It's much the same. So I felt uniquely qualified to, to weather it. Uh, yeah, I've been experiencing the Halloween Horror Nights in Camden for the last week, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And also for the last week, uh, it's been quite a big week in telly, Boyd, right? Huge. Like, massive. It's, it's actually really reminds me of the 90s because you come in to work in the morning even in this office and instead of talking about um trump or brexit mm. or some other element of the impending apocalypse people are talking about telly again it's um yeah. it's really exciting particularly bodyguard yeah but i think the bbc i have to say and i keep saying this to everyone who will listen is going through an incredible period of drama because everyone always goes on about netflix and yeah. Amazon prime to less extent because they're so cool and trendy but good old effing bbc is absolutely kicking out of the park is that the phrase no, no. knocking knocking, knocking Boyd. kicking knocking. the ball somewhere and knocking I'm out here i know to, you're not watch, asking yeah to watch for the sporting references um right so we, that is this week's talking point yes um the bbc's purple patch and also second week on the trot it feels like it has to be bodyguard um which has still got people kind of uh uh, losing their minds slightly? Are we I'm, in that phase of this um, I feel a TV bit guilty. Show? Like, on the last podcast, I referred to it as being great, but a little bit shit in the best possible way. And I feel I need to qualify that a little bit because it's now just become brilliant across the board. It wasn't shit shit. I just meant it was a little bit, should we say, heightened. Trashy is a word I'm not going to use, but you know what I mean. Like when it was all like he was shagging her and it was all a bit soapy, and now it's turned into you know proper thick conspiracy territory, and I'm fucking loving it. Can you follow all of it, or does it matter? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think I think it's it's very. I mean, the plausibility is only problematic in that this government seems quite competent at what they're doing, <laughs> uh, and their scandals are really carried off very very well. Uh, you know, you, it's hard to believe the current administration being able to assassinate people anywhere near that creatively, but you know, it's uh, it's good shit. I'm I'm enjoying it a lot. I think you're not meant to entirely understand at this stage so we, which is, we've just seen episode 5 of the penultimate yeah. episode and mm. episode 5 was the one where he's kind of lining up all the suspects all the different kind of branches of government and the spies and the Islamic fundamentalist terrorists and then he's kind of gathering them all together and saying which of these is going to end up being responsible for the central bad things that have happened which will all be revealed in the, in the finale so I think this was the most complicated episode by far yeah. and you're not thinking you're meant to understand every single detail of it it's all a bit well who is doing what to who we don't know yet yeah, and what do you think we've got set without spoilers, but yeah. what would you predict we've got in store for us with the final? Well, I have seen the finale, so I pretend I haven't seen the oh, finale. Oh, and all I would say is, uh, it's difficult. What I would say is, there's a whole big set piece thing that happens, nothing to do with who's doing what to whom, that is so in incredibly effective. Even though you know almost certainly that the person involved probably won't die, for example, mm. without wanting to be any more severe than that, it's still. Just like that opening, the train sequence, mm. this set-piece sequence, it's not, it's not as tense as that, but it's so well done that you're in the middle of it and you're like, you're really experiencing this ludicrous situation, which every, I think every, as they're watching it, I guarantee people on Twitter are going, this is preposterous, and yeah. yet loving it at the same time. I think that's the thing that's happening all the way through. People are going, elements of this are definitely testing our relationship to the truth mm. but you're still accepting it because it's such good fun see i've been i've been trying to resist the temptation to go onto the media site and watch the rest of it so i'm watching it with everyone else but i reckon gina mcgee's well dodge maybe does you know there's people who still think by the way that she's going to come back from the dead yeah that, i'm yeah. one of them yeah i'm a truther okay. she's not dead i'm not going to spoil it she's not dead 
But do you, why do you think people are so willing? Man. Why do you think people are so willing to kind of not really care about the implausibility? Because it gives people do sound off about it, but then they're clearly tuning in again to to keep watching. Because he takes it. If he just wasn't taking it to the edges of credulity of what's believable, then it wouldn't be as much fun. So it's like the two things have to go hand in hand. It would just be a bland, normal BBC drama about cops and politicians. But because he does take it so far that's what makes it fun so yeah, it kind of has to be borderline ludicrous it's what line of duty is isn't it it's yeah, taking, it's like, otherwise it would just be endless filling out of forms yeah. and paperwork right. you know what <laughs> I mean? there's not a lot of drama in actual police administration I mean, if you compare it to, I'm gonna, I'm, the only BBC drama I think isn't working on is Press, which is the one about mm. newspapers. And that, in that, there isn't much happening. And you compare it to this. And they're both, you know, workplace dramas. I was about to say, it sounds a lot like It is incredible. Yeah. The, the comparison is, is, is not working for Press. Is that because that. it's too real? It's just loads of people yeah. subbing grammatical kind of errors? Is, yeah, and let tabloid journalists wandering around showing each other. It's like, well, I don't really care. Wow. James, are you watching episodically? So are you watching weekly? I have been watching them weekly, which I don't like to do. I'm more of a binger. But I have, I've held off doing that because I'm quite enjoying being swept up in the mm. kind of Monday morning discussion of it all. And the other thing, it, it totally um, underlines the point that linear TV is still yes. absolutely with us and will never, I predict, ever go away. This, the joy of communally yeah. talking about yeah. it, as you say, that doesn't happen with Netflix shows. And they Netflix made their USP, we're going to show everything and we're going to pull 10 episodes online in one go, which is great for them, mm. and that's fine. But I think, actually, the, the old-school channels have to stick with this stuff and have to do these kind of big, tense communal viewing experiences because it is what separates them out. Yeah, well, and we'll move on now to reviews and we're going to kick it off with Killing Eve because mm. this ties into this conversation, which is a really interesting setup in terms of how they're showing it, right? So they're showing it Saturday night. It was the premiere episode this Saturday, but then they put all eight episodes upon iPlayer. So it was really interesting because I've really fallen back in love with linear TV, as you say, and that kind of episodic nature, they're talking about it the next morning, following along with people on social, it really reminded me of, of what a great experience communal TV is and actually how isolating watching stuff on your own can be because you don't get that sense of conversation and all having one experience at the same time. It's why I love the cinema, because you're experiencing yeah. something along with a load of other people. But Killing Eve, I couldn't, oh my God, it was like crack. I couldn't help myself. So I watched the first one. I held off, because um, we had early access, and I held off, and I'm like, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to watch it with everybody else. And then I just couldn't stop myself, and I binged. On Sunday, I went through every single other episode, and I kept telling myself that lie. Wow. Just one more, just one more, just one more. And before you knew it, I'd watched all eight and kind of regretted it and felt guilty, like I'd just had a giant greasy dominoes or something <laughs> and felt so guilty and bad. And for um, I, everybody must have read about this now. This has been a huge hit already in the States. And it actually shares some similarities with Bodyguard in terms of genre. Obviously, it's a thriller um, starring Sandra Owen, and Jodie Comer, who, both of whom are exceptional, written by um, Phoebe Wallabridge, who is just the most remarkable talent. And we were talking about this earlier, myself and James, about what makes this so great amongst, you know, it's a genre that has been flooded over the years. I mean, there's so many different different elements to it, part of which is women writing women means you get really convincing, multi-textured, layered women. The humanity and kind of the flaws at the heart of these women. So even Sandro's character, who you're meant to believe is the person who's going to have to save the world. They joke about her a lot, but she's in MI5 and she's kind of running this um, small, slightly clumsy unit who are meant to be finding this assassin who's killing people all over the world. But she's bumbling and she's like us. You kind of expect these people to be beyond reproach and be perfection. And she's just a really, really normal human being. And Jodie Comer is just astonishing it's one of the performances of the year i think so far for me um 
But is this the first time they've done this, Boyd, in terms of the way they're distributing it? It's not. They have, so they've done it a couple of times. So there was a big kind of ghost drama they did it with, the name of which I've forgotten, where they showed it on Friday night at nine o'clock and Mm. they put it all online as well, eight episodes. They've done it a couple of times. I think it is... I don't think they've fully thought it through. Mm. My get, my, and I have spoken to some BBC types about this, like to get, you know, why have they decided to do this with this show? And I think it's partly, literally, the BBC saying we need to be a bit like Netflix. Right. Like we can't just let Netflix dominate the young people watching TV on their laptops in their own time. Mm. And so this show, which is so kind of edgy and it does have a very kind of youthful vibe, despite the fact actually that. Most of the characters are well into their, you know, I don't know, approaching yeah. middle age, apart from Jodie Comer's one. So they're kind of going, we can do a really cool show that's as cinematic and good as the Netflix shows, of which the best ones, yeah. and put it all out online like they do. And yet we can also show it on Saturday night for old school people who don't really have Netflix and we watch it happily in a linear fashion. So I can see why they're doing it. But I, I still think it's slightly a muddled approach. Mm. There's also the fact that, bear in mind, this aired in the States, was it like yeah. six months ago? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a new thing globally, it's just a new sure. thing for us in the UK. Now, it aired episodically in the it States, did, yeah, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. So I guess at this point, it's a bit like the cat's a little bit out of the bag, isn't it? Mm. So I think the talkability wouldn't be the same. You wouldn't have that Monday morning thing, except for the people, I guess, that you know. Because mm. most people will have, will have either heard what had happened or at least heard a lot about it. Yeah, It's not come out of nowhere. But I yeah, absolutely love this. And I've been sitting on it for ages, been meaning to watch it. And I mainlined the entire thing on my flight to Florida. And like you said, Jodie Comer is amazing as this, as this kind of playful sociopath. She mm. has this kind of insouciance to her. She's so much fun and she has so much fun with the role. And it's quite a serious subject matter. It's quite unpleasant at times, quite, you know, murderous, gory. There's a lot of violence in it. But there's this thread of incredibly funny dark humour all yeah. the way through it. So you just can't help yourself laughing at it. And it's it's just it is a joyous show. I haven't enjoyed the, a show as much as this in a long time. You're right. The writing is just and that and where that's where that humour comes mm. in. They undercut what is meant to be such often such, you know, kind of threatening, foreboding scenes. There'll just be a quip, usually from Sandro, and suddenly the entire thing's been undercut. Even that opening scene where she's sat in a cafe, yeah. smiling at the little girl who playfully smiles at the man, and you can see and that's a great study of psychopathy as well, what she, how she reacts in that scene when the little girl doesn't pay her attention and pays the man the attention. And then she just walks past and you think, you know, she's going to, like, ruffle her hair or something. She spills her pudding into her lap and it's just such a brilliantly light touch in terms of setting the scene on who she is and the tone of this show. What I also love about it is that the stuff that, when it's dealing with, you kind of alluded to earlier, when it's dealing with the workplace of MI5 and MI6, these spies, and it's such a contrast, actually, with Bodyguard, because Bodyguard, no-one says anything that's outside of the actual plot. And there's no... And I kind of love that about him. It's got that... There's no backstories, it's just... Everyone yeah. just does what they're doing. Even the sex was like, right, I'm going to start masturbating and that, and that means I want you to have sex with me. It's very matter of fact. Whereas in this, in Killing Eve, she takes the time to let the characters kind of live. Mm. And so there's, at the beginning, there's a great bit where they're arriving at work and they're, well, they're all working in espionage, but they're fighting over a croissant, as yeah. you do probably every Monday morning when you're at Empire. And um, that like, like really... Like anyone brings us croissants. Well, and that, I thought that was so clever that it's making this world, which is usually a glamorous world of spies, into just an everyday workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that happening all the way through which makes it even though they're incredibly kind of lavish operatic murders yeah. in it there's also time for it to be very real and authentic and yeah. kind of totally believable the, the interplay like in particular that that uh, Villanelle Jodie Comer's character has with her handler this sort of long suffering kind of roly eyed guy Constantin uh, is just so so funny she's so playful with him and they have so much fun with those sequences and with the language that they use mm. like the linguistics are really interesting so when they're talking about a castration scene at one point and one of the characters just cut out with it she goes 
she chopped his knob off. And it's just like, just the use of words. It's so good. So and my good. My favourite is Fiona Shaw. Fiona Shaw, She's good this in everything. Grand Dame, yeah. British theatre, is playing such a fun, somehow yeah. lovable, yet kind of harsh. <laughs> she's just fantastic, and she's clearly having the time of her life. There's a lot of Mrs. Dursley in that character, to be honest. Yeah. There really is. She's yeah. channeling a lot of that. And we must talk about the, the soundtrack as well, because I just think the use of music is just remarkable as well. Again, it's another thing that makes it feel cinematic and, and really makes it feel like it could be on the big screen as easily as be on the little Completely, screen. Yeah, it's got a little bit Peaky Blinders either yeah. way, does it? Yeah, kind of long, quite long action scenes timed beautifully to, to the music. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. So Killing Eve, we love it. And Definitely. the second episode will be on BBC One next Saturday. None of that matters because you should watch them all today. And all of them are on iPlayer right now if you're like me and have absolutely no patience or self-control. Now... We're going to talk about Maniac, James Dyer. We are. Now, this this uh, this is a miniseries which opens on Netflix this Friday. And now is the part where I would tell you the story of this show, but I haven't the first fucking clue because I didn't understand a word of it, but in the best way possible. Um, this, is, this is based on a Norwegian television series of the same name, uh, and it's adapted here by Patrick Somerville. Uh, it's got Emma Stone and Jonah Hill in it, and the first episode, and I believe the second one as well, are very much kind of scene-setters, you're just watching going, mm-hmm, these people are great, what the hell is going on? And I feel a little bit like if this didn't have Jonah Hill and Emma Stone in it, I probably wouldn't have made it past the first episode because I'd have just thought, this is either nonsense or I'm too stupid to understand it. But that there in it, I think, keeps you going long enough for it to get its hooks in, and that's really important. So this, the two of them, I guess, take part in a cl- clinical trial for a drug. There's a lot more going on in the first episode, but that's essentially where that ends. And then the series becomes this sort of exploration of what happens when they work through their psychological issues on this test drug by transporting themselves into different scenarios with reflections of their own characters. And it plays out like, like almost like a weird sort of compilation of different stories. But it's really, really darkly funny in a similar way, actually, to, to the way Killing Eve is. It's a very dark thread of humour to it. It has, shares a lot of DNA with Legion, I think, in the way that it has. I think it revels in its sort of weirdness in a similar way. And it has that slightly retro future tech aesthetic, the kind of way you can imagine people in the 80s imagine living in 2018. But but really compelling. And I think, I mean, of them all, Jonah Hill is great in this, but Emma Stone really stood out for me in this, absolutely magnetic in this, to the point where I think you miss her horribly whenever she's off screen. Mm. Uh, but really enjoyed this. Uh, I think the most important piece of advice here is stick with it. Like It's very easy, I think, to be put off by how demented the first episode is. But it does settle into a groove. What do we think? Has everyone seen this? Yes. Well, it's funny, though, we've got a um, franchise in our pilot TV magazine called Give It Time, yeah. which is kind of all about how long do you give yeah. these big multi-part shows. I have to insist that everyone <laughs> goes through all the way to episode five. Yeah. And I think why is because I know, I've met a lot of people who watch the first two episodes and are completely in a state of bewilderment and are like and almost bored. That's where I am. Right. End of episode okay. two. I've no idea what's there happening. There you go. So because the premise of the show, which is that these two damaged people who meet at, the, at this trial, at this clinical trial, it's what happens to them once they're involved in the trial and once they're going on these kind of um, lucid dream journeys together to wherever they can go anywhere in the world and beyond. So you know they might go to a Lord of the Rings style 
world. Which they do. Which they do. <laughs> they might go the first one in episode four. So even it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not till episode four where they go on their first lucid yeah. dream type mm. adventure, which is the premise of the show. So it's, it's kind of bold and yet slightly annoying that it takes that long to get to that moment. And the first one is a kind of 80s style, almost teen caper kind of thing. Mm. And it's very funny and entertaining. We also don't meet, for example, Justin Theroux's character, who is the comic relief of the whole series until episode three. So it's got this weird kind of almost deliberately, almost willfully perverse way of delaying explaining what the whole bloody show's about. And I think that's the creators, Kerry Fukunaga, who directed True Detective, Patrick Somerville, who wrote a lot of The Leftovers, the last season of that. And if you've seen The Leftovers, it's one of the most kind of slightly weird storytelling thing, that a bit like Westworld, where nothing's mm. really explained and you have to really yeah. pay attention. He does that here. I think it does finally reward your patience. So when you do get to episodes three, four, five, it really picks up for me and it, and, it, and it flies. And from then on, I absolutely loved it and I've watched the whole rest of it. And I think it's an incredible, as you say, it's a particular showcase for her, Emma Stone, who just is in absolutely brilliant. And he, I, when I, interview, I interviewed um, uh, Kerry Fukunaga for Pilot TV magazine and he said she never, ever does, likes doing any film or TV or any, anything that's set in a fantasy world of any kind. She hates it. And this is his, his way of tying her down and forcing her to be in that kind mm -hmm. of format. <laughs> and she has a brilliant time. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he is a, a really exciting and interesting filmmaker, which is kind of why I gave it a go, I have to say, at the end of episode two. I ended up doing that thing, which I did through all season two of Westworld, which was Googling what happened in the last episode of Westworld. Yeah. And it infuriates me because I, I worry that sometimes with... Um, I've seen a couple of things recently, both films and TV, where it feels like a obtuse, what I would call obtuse filmmaking, which is we're going to prove we're much more intelligent than you. So when you said either, like, you know, I'm not clever enough for this, which is stupid, you're James Dye, you've got the biggest brain in, in well, this room. There's <laughs> only four of us in it. But, you know, you're a very intelligent man. And I, I, there are parts of me that I weren't prepared to work hard for certain shows. But if it feels like too many hoops have been put in my way to jump through to make me earn the mm. enjoyment of this show, then that kind of really puts me off. But I trust you, Boyd Hilton. Thank you. You are TV's Boyd Hilton. You. you are a good friend of David Walliams' TV's Boyd Hilton. And he's also a maniac. And you're yeah. a psychopath. Yeah. So um, I'm going to give it a go on yeah. three and four. But and, you're, and you think that if you get that far, the rest of the episode is kind of... E is it easier to navigate? I think you want... Yeah, because particularly three and four, it gets you into the idea of the show that these two are going to go on these weird flights of fancy, fantasy together. And that is really what... There was the whole premise of the show is that is putting these two characters in whatever situation we want to imagine they're in them in genres it's, so it's playing with genre it's playing with filmmaking mm. techniques it's kind of there's a self-awareness to it from that point of view and yet at the same time it is about something which is kind of about how do damaged people try and fix themselves mm. it reminded me a bit of eternal sunshine in yeah. that in that there way is a the lot, premise there is a t eternal sunshiny thing going on okay. without doubt it's a lot of eternal sunshine in this very much so like it, it has a real it really it brought that to my mind mm. a lot much more that than you know for example super bad which was of course the last time these two were on screen together oh god of course yeah. and it's quite nice Joan Hill was very much underplaying PTSD. it. Jonah yes. Joan Hill was kind yeah. of like he's a de he's a de he's depressed in it, and that's kind of you know, and he has issues. His and physicality mm. struck me in yeah. the first yeah. one. He looks unrecognisable. Absolutely. I mean, he's a lot smaller than he used to be, but his mm. face looks so ravaged that he almost doesn't even need to do much, yeah, does agree, he? Yeah. Because his entire the way he sits, he, he literally sits like the man with all of the sadness in yeah. the world, yeah. bowing his head. And it's, he's apparently he's very method and, and and wanted to get depressed. As well. <laughs> 
Wow. I so, applaud him. Yes. Well, he's really low energy and she's really kind of frenetic yeah. and sort of like twitchy. Yeah, she, but she did remind me of Kate Winslet's character in Eternal yeah. Sunshine yeah, in that sense. Um, so, James, when is this on again? It's on Friday. drops on Netflix. So that's your weekend sorted. Great. And there will be a pilot TV video show special of Maniac, Mr Boyd Hilton, oh, interviewing well. the stars and director, and we will be talking about it as well out in a few days. Now, Boyd, let us round up the review section with an Australian crime drama. Yes, Mystery Road. So this is in the BBC4 Saturday night 9 o'clock slot where they put all their foreign dramas. It's, you know, where The Killing was on and The Bridge was on. Yeah. James is looking at me like I'm mad. Like, I'm why like, would I'm you like, ever watch yeah, TV I was about to say, you're, you're speaking about the TV hinterlands here. I have not seen this. <laughs> <laughs> out clubbing on oh, Saturday it. night. Yeah, oh, yeah. bangers me. Every yeah. night, fair enough. <laughs> but it is a it is a kind of it's become an iconic slot for showcasing the best of international drama, and this is and the reason I picked this was because you know I kind of test out every one of these. I like I watched the first episode of all of these shows because there are there have been some absolutely brilliant treats among them, particularly the bridge, which is a mm. you know became an mm. iconic thing. And I started watching this one, and it's start, and it's beautifully filmed. That's the first thing to say about it. It's about it stars Aaron Peterson Peterson as Detective Jay Swan in the outback in Australia, and he's a kind of very turn, almost Clint Eastwood-style hero cop who hardly says anything to anyone and looks kind of inherently mean. He's working with the brilliant Judy Davis, the legendary Australian actress Judy Davis, who's been in loads of fantastic films, often playing kind of wild American women who mm. are slightly kind of on the edge, if you like. She's playing this very down-to-earth Australian cop who kind of has brought him in. She needs a detective to sort out the mystery of two young guys who've disappeared off the face of the earth when they were kind of doing their job, which is going around in some farm, filling up some farming stations. And so it begins with this deserted kind of white van thing that they, all, that they arrived in. They've disappeared, beautifully shot, using those outback locations in, a, and I think, a like stunningly beautiful way, the, the kind of big overhead shots mm. of the landscape a lot. But more important than that, I think I really love these two main characters, the, the cop and the detective, Judy Davis and Aaron Peterson. I love the way they're kind of slowly getting to know each other. And it's a classic, you know, all of these things, it's, it's a kind of classic setup. It's ostensibly, it's a, it's a standard um, kind of crime drama with a mystery to mismatched cops and all of that but the detail of it and the performances by these two people and as I say the very very cinematic way it's filmed I think it's one of the most cinematic things I've seen in this slot I have to say even mm. including the bridge that's why I picked it and that's why I like it and, I, and I've so far watched the first two episodes so they go out in double bills um, which is quite clever because the first episode is the setup and the second episode you're getting all the kind of the the possible um, suspects right. as to what is happening and why these two guys disappeared and it's looking at, you know, it's looking at ab issues for Aborigines still in Australia. There's a lot of stuff about the class conflict. You know, we mm. see how they live and how the kind of white privileged people live. All of that is done very light touch in the background. The mystery is really compelling, I think. Okay, wow. so how many parts it's, over um, how many nights? I think it's eight parts over the next four weeks. So they show two each week. And I think it will reward your attention. You are all about the rewards this I afternoon, really Lloyd Hilton. Boy, the delayed gratification, Hilton. <laughs> Sometimes you need to delay it, James. No. Lies. <laughs> all right. Give it me all now. And, and you didn't think we'd work wanking into the podcast this week. Hooray! I knew we would. No, it's time for TV news. And I would like to kick us off with something I'm very excited about, which is Aaron Paul being cast in the next season of Westworld. We know nothing. I mean, it could be on tomorrow and we'd still know nothing um, because they don't tell us anything. The showrunners talked at the end of season two about there being a radical shift in season three. We don't know what that means. We do know that they're out in the real world and we don't know if he'll be human or host. I mean, I just think he's 
incredible. Everything he's in, like, you've got to hope that some of the amazing charisma and energy he brings to screen, regardless of, of whatever he's in, will translate. Do we you, think he'll be human? Do we think speed, he'll be right? Just saying. Don't talk about that. <laughs> human or host, what are we saying? Uh, I hope he'll be human, because I, 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 mean, I love Westworld, but I, I, I'm, I'm more interested intrinsically always in human characters than I am non-human mm. characters. It's just the way I am. I love him as Humanist. well. He, he was even good in that terrible Fast and Furious knockoff film that he did. <laughs> Is that the one you just mentioned? Yes. yes. Uh, sorry. Sorry. He whispered it. No. He whispered it. He, no, he, he wasn't. Was. He no, he wasn't. Yes, he I'm was sticking dreadful. with it. I did a junkie interview with him for that film and he was lovely. So I'm sticking with but him. But don't you think, don't you think, and actually we're short, I think we're short on amazing male characters yeah, now in we Westworld. Are good. I think the female characters mm. in Westworld are just incredible and they're the, the things you really hold on to every week and the next day they're the people you're really talking about. And I think a an injection of a, a brilliant new Definitely. male character. Yeah. And there have been some slightly dodgy male ones, like the English guy. Yeah. 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 What was that about? Yeah, what was that about? So, what yeah, I'm, about? I'm hopeful. We're hopeful. James? Yeah. I've written down <laughs> yelling. I don't, I've just written down his name and yelling. And I think yeah. that means I hope he's going to do some I, yelling. I think he'll be a character. <laughs> I do. I'm pre- pretty certain. I've thought about it a lot. I'm fairly certain he'll play a role. Is that the extent of your Westworld yeah. knowledge? Yeah, I think he's going to be. Maybe he's one of the five marbles. Yes, that they lost. <laughs> right, let's move on. Boyd, yes. talk to me about Trust Me. Trust Me. So Trust Me, This is. I think this is quite a funny story because Trust Me was BBC One's big drama uh, last year starring Jodie Whittaker. And she played this um, nurse who turned herself into a doctor and started going around operating on people even though she'd never been trained. And it was an intrinsically, incredibly eye-catching premise that, by the way, was based on true stories of lots of fake doctors out there, apparently hundreds of them. And she, it was a great showcase for her. And then, of course, it was announced she was the Doctor in Doctor Who. So she is no longer going to be in it. But they've recast her role, played by Alfred Enoch from How to Get Away with Murder, who's a great young actor, but obviously he's not playing the same character. So what they're going to do is they're rebooting the whole show. So it's kind of like a medical thriller with a completely new character played by Alfred Enoch at the centre of the show who is going to be Corporal Jamie McCain, survivor of an enemy attack during some kind of war, who's got a spinal injury in his hospital and he watches as his fellow patients die unexpectedly around him. I quite like the idea of that premise. Well, What's so what, what do they share? So he, but he's the not a thing, nurse who... No, so the only thing that, trust me, season one and two are going to share in common are that they're set mainly in hospitals and there's some bad people going around killing people and that it's created by the same person, Dan Sefton, who wrote and created the show. Is this a contractual thing? Like, when playing the Doctor, you also can't play a Doctor? <laughs> in the same way that, like, when someone's cast as Bond, they're not allowed to be in any other film where they wear a dinner suit because a dinner Is that suit... Correct? Yeah, so if you're, if you're playing... If you're cast as Bond, you can't wear a dinner suit in another film. It's entirely possible I've made that up, but I'm almost <laughs> certain it's a fact, so Google so that. So you're telling me Daniel Craig has never... Since starting as Bond, he's never worn a suit on screen? Sure, why not? No, suit's fine, but dinner suit. I'm fairly certain it only applies to dinner suits. By in, dinner suit, do you mean dicky bag? Yeah, yeah, with a, with a bow tie and shit. So can't do any of that. So can't go to any bar mitzvahs or anything while doing the, while being bombed. So I'm I think pretty clearly, sure, I, clearly. I, hate to, I hate to contradict you, but I'm pretty sure Daniel Craig went to the GQ Awards yeah. whilst yeah. playing no, bond I mean, and was in a dinner suit. In a role, like on screen. Oh, like, you can right. do it in his personal life. What about driving a car? So, what about so shagging jo- women? Jodie Foster, for example. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Jodie Whittaker. Or Jodie Whittaker. So Jodie Whittaker, for example, cannot play a doctor, but can presumably operate on someone right. in and her own personal life without repercussions. 
That's also a fact. She's not allowed to time <laughs> no. travel yeah. while she's playing. Well, why didn't they just start a brand new show? That's the good question because oh, it's you know it's like every, I mean it does tap into the thing that people don't get annoyed about now, where a seemingly limited series ends up being turned into more than one series of everything. Anything that's successful on TV now has to have more than one series, and that's why it's going to happen. So, so what you're saying is they're just asking us to trust them. Oh, yeah. He's good, isn't he? Well, I mean, yeah. he's uh, I mean, yes. You know. Okay, fine. So that's. But I like Dan Sefton, the writer, so I'll give it a go. Okay. You will trust I'm very happy. I mean, it sounds ridiculous. It does sound but, um, ridiculous. But they get it. And now let's talk about. I really want to talk about the Sabrina no, trailer. No, this no. is not actually a sentence I thought I'd say. So if, if we had a slight disagreement about this, right, Boyd? Because slight. you were trying to sell me this and I was rolling yes. my eyes. Because obviously, to me, Sabrina is Sabrina the Teenage Witch, 1990s, peppy. It exists in my brain next to Joey Lawrence and Blossom um, and those hats that turned up at the front and had flowers on them and collots. So I couldn't really see how this was going to be good and you were kind of telling me how it was. And the trailer dropped a few yeah. days ago. And I think it's important to note that obviously it's based on the comic book run from the Archie horror titles, right? So exactly. it is meant to be scary and it is meant yeah. to be, have a horror riff. The trailer is a little bit like... The Craft meets American Horror Story, meets Stranger Things, meets um, Charmed, which I love to talk about any given opportunity. It looks properly scary. It looks like it's really actually well shot and well made. Um, tonally, it's about as far away as you can get from Sabrina the Teenage Witch as anything. And I think I am excited. I have to be careful because I've seen the first few episodes of this show on, by the by. So, um, and I'm strictly embargoed, of course, from saying what I think of it. But all I would say is that there was an incredible array of, of quite correct uh, references there. So I think that's all in there, mm. without doubt. I mean, I think it is trying to be properly scary. That's the most exciting mm. thing about it. I, I will, we'll see whether it succeeds or not. But, you know, in the, in the advanced kind of materials of it, they're, saying, they're even comparing things like The Exorcist, which, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll park that for a bit. But yes. it's going for it. It's definitely going for it in, in every way. Like, sty it's incredibly stylized. Mm. It's, it's bold and daring. There's stuff about sexuality in there. It's definitely typically bold Netflix way of doing Sabrina yeah. the Teenage Witch. Can I ask a question? Yes. So, assume for a second that I've never watched an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, even though Melissa Joan Hart follows me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> just sort of get that in there. So, this is the one with the talking cat, right? Yes. And this is the sequel to the campy show about the talking It's cat. a reboot. It's a reboot. It's, it's a reimagination. Oh, fine, it's a fine. Total, okay. It's, it's an it's a update. It's making it Valid so for it's our times we live in now. Sabrina the emo witch is essentially <laughs> what this is. Oh my god, so good. There's your headline there. Right. I mean, yes. Okay. Yes. Are you more interested in I it? I am. Though? And the cat talks still? I didn't see the cat in the trailer. There are freaky, scary cats as far as I can remember. I'm not sure if they actually talk. I, I see so you weirdly, you've kind yeah. of ever so slightly <laughs> sold me on this, but then, you know, I was going to bat for fucking Discovery of Witches last week, so what the hell do I know? Well, and is it a crossover with Riverdale or is it just by the same team? It's just by the same team. It's just by well, the I same mean, team. to start with, I'm, I guess there's room for crossover. There yeah. will be room for crossover. Yeah, and that, that must be a temptation considering it is by the same team. Okay. Yeah. And that is um, starting on Netflix at the end of October, I think October 28th. Now, time for one more. Well, Dark... I'm, I'm going to jump in jump and in, derail James. what you were about to say and say, funnily enough, because this is what I do here. That's my whole role on this podcast. The most exhausting news of the week has to be that we can look forward to another decade of The Walking Dead. Oh, yes. And I'm so, so tired now, having heard that. So, so this is what they were talking about, The Walking Dead, what the future of The Walking Dead would be. And the new showrunner mentioned that they have a plan that spans the next decade. And I think everyone collectively just sort of like, 
took a steadying sigh at that point. Because The Walking Dead at the best of times is exhausting. It takes forever to get anywhere. It's incredibly bleak and nihilistic, and there's two of them already. So either this is now going to go on for another ten years, or there will be multiple spin-offs that will do other things, presumably some kind of knockabout sex comedy with zombies will be part of it. But I just... Is it the length of time that's bothering I, yeah, you? It's, if they said, oh, we've got a plan for the next two years, I'd have been like, oh, OK, there'll be... A, but just the thought of sitting through ten more years of this, and I watched both of these shows still. Mm. I could still enjoy them enough to to tune in each week but it is very very hard going sometimes and I think we're certainly with The Walking Dead for The Walking Dead being its own thing The Walking Dead now is not up to date with the comics but it's certainly not far off we're all, I think we're only one storyline behind the comics mm. at this point uh, so Two we're getting words, quite close. Milking it. The, I mean, yes, is exactly what's happening. It feels a little bit like it, this has been off the boil for a while now. I think. I think the whole Negan debacle really strained everyone's tolerance. I think that show was great, even if it was a little bit ponderous. And then Negan came in, and I love Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and I think he's brilliant. I actually really enjoy him in this role because he's so over the top. But you had that that episode of incredibly shocking violence, which I think turned mm. off a lot of viewers. And then they almost to add insult to injury, they then made you sit for three years and watch nothing happen as these people just shouted at each other on the radio and at this point I just feel like you know people have done less time for murder I can't do another 10 years of The Walking Dead Well when it comes to The Walking Dead are you excited about the new season? I'm interested yes right. like so I read the comics and I, I, I enjoyed the time jump that came mm. after the kind of all out War Negan storyline and you had an older Rick and like, the world had shifted because I think this is one of these shows where it's about humans and zombies at the backdrop the world as a the whole is kind of the wallpaper for this show and I thought at that point we were overdue a shift mm. in the scenery and I like the fact that it's now about crumbling infrastructure and it's about them building up a society and it's about, you know, people who dress as zombies and cut their faces off. That's a whole other thing. But, you know, I, yeah, I'm interested in this season. But I, I worry a little bit, not so much that, that Andrew Lincoln's going, but the fact that, that Lauren Cohen's going as well and she's great in that show. And they said, oh, it'd be great because we're going to allow the supporting cast a chance to shine. And I think it does have a strong supporting class, but I, a cast, but I, I worry that they may misstep. In trying to overcompensate for the lack of yeah. having a central leading man, I wonder whether they might actually lose what makes the show great. I don't know, we'll, we'll, if, if that's not in fact already been lost, but we'll, we'll see. I will, I will definitely stick it out for one more season, but at this point, that is all I'm prepared to promise. Well, and that's all. I always think if you throw too far ahead, you miss people being in the moment right now, which is yeah. all it should be about right this minute is setting people up for him leaving and for this final season. I think as soon as you start throwing beyond that, mm. it really stops people being able to enjoy it right in that moment. Absolutely. I'm excited to see how, how it works out, how he leaves, how they deal with that and what happens mm. after that. But uh, yeah, too, uh, I agree with you totally. They, sh they should not have announced this. Never. No, I don't no. want to know. Because it's just know. It's exhausting. Yeah. Can I just say, I love the fact that we're recording this podcast in a meeting room next to the Empire office. So bursts of sporadic <laughs> yeah. laughter coming and it's like we've got our own little laugh track going. It's, um, at least it's, it's laughter and not tears. Yeah, and they're not Screaming, screaming in misery. And I love the fact that I have to go and do the same thing now at the BBC, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> also, his Dark Materials is getting a season two. There yeah, you go. Yeah, don't really yeah. care about that. Right, so that is it for the second Pilot TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We will see you next Monday. And in the meantime, you can find Pilot TV on YouTube, iTunes, Twitter, Facebook. We Planned out the next 10 years of the Pilot Instagram. TV podcast for your entertainment. Stick with us for the next decade. It'll get good after four years. Thank you. See you next week. <laughs>